Revelation chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wool, wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine scarlet, in purple, and scarlet, and adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. 
What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned and crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and all who have been slain on earth. <clears throat> Shall we bow together in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you have preserved for us the ancient words that were given so long ago to the prophets. Holy men of God <clears throat> recorded those words, and they have been preserved for us today. Thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that <clears throat> we are able to read it in our own language, and not just in one translation, we have many. Father, we are truly blessed. And I pray today that as we have looked at this difficult passage, these challenging words, that you would help our pastor Paul as he continues in this series in Revelation. Father, give him great wisdom. And Father, may your words speak and live and change our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Bill. You might have caught as Bill prayed that we're in the middle of a series in the book of Revelation. Uh, our hope is that we will be done by the end of, our, uh, end of November and uh, maybe a bit sooner and then uh, Advent is here and uh, Christmas season. You might have got a sense as we were reading through this if you were listening or have read ahead of us gathering today that this is an emotional chapter. It's filled with all kinds of motion. There are the heights of ecstasy and there are really depths of incredible mourning. There are dirges or laments, and then there is rejoicing. Some who have looked at this particular chapter note that there are up to eight hymns of doom, and so they've called it the doom chapter. There are three angels that pronounce judgments variously that are sent from heaven, and I think it's all summarized in the words of Isaiah who describes the fall of Babylon in chapter 13 of the book of Isaiah by saying Babylon's time is almost up. Her days are almost over. There's four things I want to point out as we go through this uh, particular passage tonight or this morning. 
It might have been easier to do this in a class so we could have discussion back and forth, but it's a sermon, so it's somewhat of a monologue. But at the heart of understanding this passage in 17 and 19 of Revelation is to understand something of Babylon. I don't know what goes through your head when you hear the word Babylon. What kind of associations, what kind of images flood into your mind when you hear or read the word Babylon? Maybe before we get there, ask yourself or think in your head, what goes through your head when you hear the word Las Vegas? Certainly it is more than uh, bricks and mortars. It is even more than flashing lights. There could be some good pictures that come to your mind, but there's also an incredible amount of hurt and pain and sin. Las Vegas isn't called Sin City for no reason at all. And so when you think of Babylon... There should be a whole number of images that are, de are developed in your mind that have been helped by the Word of God to understand what Babylon means. If you are here last week, we understood that Babylon encompasses all the peoples and nations of the world, kings and economies of the world that are immoral and unjust. Babylon contains all the philosophies in this world that are opposed to God. It contains all of the um, uh, uh, economies of the world that crush people. It includes the sex trade slave. It includes pornography. It includes legal and illegal drugs. Babylon embodies a kind of insanity of wanton extravagance and wealth of which we only get glimpses of as common people. She represents a worldwide history-long threat that comes to the church and the world through the subtle pressure to cultural conformity and the seductive rewards it brings in financial and social security. Babylon is meant to be understood as the capital of the entire world or the center of the universal kingdom of darkness. It is the symbol of everything that is hostile towards God. It is the center of idolatry. It is the great prostitute. Remember that Babylon has been described in chapter 17 as the mother of all prostitutes and the source of every evil abomination. And never forget that underneath Babylon is an evil spiritual reality. Babylon is described as being empowered by the beast from the sea. Babylon is influenced by evil demonic spirits that we read in Revelation chapter 16 and Revelation chapter 9. Babylon is not a good place. John describes her here as the dwelling place of demons. Demons or the demonic world influences and um, inhabits Babylon and all that Babylon represents. It is also a haunt for everything that is unclean. This is really a spiritual reality that is, to, that is understood as you read the Old Testament, and particularly books like the book of Leviticus, where the book of Leviticus is tedious, but it constantly makes distinctions between what is clean and what is unclean. And the distinctions are necessary distinctions. The distinctions are meant to help us understand what is spiritually good and what is spiritually harmful. The laws about food, for instance, were meant to reinforce the fact that the people of Israel were to be separate from and distinct from all the nations around them 
and all the gods that they worshipped and served. God set up their lives so that they would live and eat and dress differently from the world that was around them. Babylon attempts to erase all of those distinctions. In Babylon is everything that is unclean. Babylon, as one said, is even now a hag, a hollow husk, the haunt of demons, defilement, and death. The inward reality will become outwardly visible at Babylon's fall when her mask is torn away. So pervasive is the influence of Babylon that she is described as having decept, deceived and seduced in worldwide terms. All nations, the kings of the earth, the merchants of the earth, all the economies of the earth are variously described as being drunk with the passion of her sexual immorality. Again, last week, we indicated that that is not physical immorality, or that's part and parcel of Babylon, but this is spiritual immorality. This is pulling us away from the one true God. This is pulling us into idolatry. It is drawing us into a love of the world and all the things in the world that are opposed to God. Have you ever looked at the world or watched the news and said, they've gone mad? This is exactly how Jeremiah describes Babylon. In chapter 51, verse 7 of Jeremiah, he says, The nations drank her, her, her wine, therefore the nations have gone mad. They have committed spiritual adultery with her. They have embraced all the offerings of pleasure that she has to give. They have grown rich from the power that has come from investing in her. They have gained incredible wealth from following her principles. You think just about some of the tech companies we know and the incredible wealth that they have achieved by following the economics of Babylon. Think of Google. Think of Facebook. Think of many businesses in the world that their owners have got incredibly rich. You see their yachts that drive around the world. You understand the businesses that they, that they have. It's money that has come from embracing Babylon. But never forget... But John says Babylon is fallen. And for an emphasis, he says fallen, fallen is Babylon. It is doomed. And so there, John begins with this pronouncement of doom on Babylon for her seductive, deceptive influence across the world. The second thing that John takes us to is from verses 4 to 8, and there's a warning there. It's a spiritual warning to the people of God. It's hard not to miss the warning, and I've been troubled by this. I've been thinking a lot about it, and I've been, I've been um, convicted by it. In verse 4, John says to the church, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, and lest you share in her plagues. Remember, the book of Revelation is first and foremost written to the churches. It's written to the people of God. And John is warning the people, he's, and we looked at this last week, there is a real seduction to Babylon. There is real, an offering of real pleasure and of real power and of real wealth in Babylon. And it has got a power or it has a potential to seduce the people of God. And so John reminds her, the church, come out of her. 
Don't ever overestimate your ability to stand. This is a command to the people of God to come out of her. Remember Lot. I don't know if you've ever thought about Lot. It's worth going back and reading the incremental movement of Lot from setting up his tent in the plains to actually then residing in the gates of Sodom. Step by step, Lot was lured into taking up residence in Sodom itself. And when the angels came to warn him to get out, as he shared that warning with his future sons-in-laws, they laughed at him. And they thought he was only joking because he had been so seduced by Sodom. And in fact, he himself was hesitant to leave and kept delaying leaving Sodom. Don't understand or underestimate your ability to stand. This command doesn't mean we need to physically leave Babylon. We looked at that last week. We can't do that. Babylon is all around us. It's everywhere around us. It's, it's in the economies that we participate. It's in the, the, the things that we watch. It's in the books that we read. It's in the, the world that we live. Babylon is everywhere. But what we are told to do is, is don't embrace her. Don't be seduced by her. Don't commit adultery with her. Don't get into idolatry with her. Come out of her. Worship God. Follow the ethic of the kingdom of God, not the ethic of Babylon. Come out of Babylon. Remember, we compared Last week, the, um, uh, the great prostitute Babylon with physical adultery. And I encourage you to go and read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 and the passages about adultery and substitute there the spiritual reality of Babylon. Proverbs 5, verse 8. Keep your way far from Babylon. Don't go near the door of her house. Proverbs 7, verse 8, is he describes a young man that is being seduced by a prostitute crossing the street near her corner. He strolled down the road to her house at twilight in the evening in the dark of the night. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively. Loved ones, that is the power of Babylon on the people of God. Proverbs 6, 24 talks about the words of God and the light of the word of God that is given to us to protect us from the adulterous woman. They will protect you from the evil woman, from Babylon. Ancient words. They will protect us from Babylon, from the flattering tongue of the stranger. Don't lust in your heart for her beauty, the beauty of Babylon, or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. Come out of her. Jeremiah in chapter 50 verse 8 says, flee from the midst of Babylon. Go out of the land of the Chaldeans. Isaiah says, depart, depart. Go out from here. Touch no unclean. Go out from the midst of her. As Proverbs says, can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burnt? Can you embrace Babylon and your clothes not be burnt? Can a man walk on coals without scorching his feet? Can men and women walk with Babylon and not burn their feet? So it is, the proverb says, the one who sleeps with Babylon, no one who touches her will go unpunished. So he says, come out of her lest you partake in her sins. Come out of her lest you share in her plagues. This is strong language of John to the church. John describes her sins as being heaped up to the heavens. 
That's a clear reference, I believe, to Babel. Remember uh, the Tower of Babel? They wanted to build a tower that reached into the heaven to say that they were God, that they could do things without God. Here's, I think, a clear reference to that. Her sins have reached as high as the heavens. And God has remembered her iniquities. That's a strong statement, that God has remembered her iniquities. That's a way of saying justice will be served. It's a way of saying that what God has determined would fall for those that persist in sin will happen to them. Sin will be dealt with. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. God doesn't sweep things under the rug. Justice demands that things be dealt with equitably and fairly. God doesn't do that. He can't just turn his back on injustice and idolatry and sin. And so sin will be punished. He will remember her iniquities. God will hold her fully accountable so that her punishment is inescapable. But there's something in the Word of God as I thought about this, that a phrase that kept running through my head. And it's, that this, it's this phrase and he will remember their sins no more. What's this contrast that, that we have here? God will remember her sins, the sins of Babylon, and then God will remember their sin no more. What is going on here? Well, this is talking about repentance. This is talking about putting our faith in Christ. This is talking about how God, when we trust Christ, erases our sins, removes them, because not he sweeps them under the carpet, but because he has forgiven them in Christ Jesus. And so the psalmist says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness of sin. Jeremiah says, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. And Revelation says, To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. You see, there's an incredible truth that's being presented here. God is just. God must deal with sin, and so he must punish it. But for all who turn to Christ, their sins can be taken away. Their sins can be removed. Their sins can be punished in Christ. And then when God looks at us, he remembers our sins no more. It is a beautiful contrast presented here in this particular text. And so come out of her, my people. There's an equity about her judgment this is the thing I love about the adjustment of God. It is the justice of God. It is perfect. It is not too much and it is not quite enough. It is the perfect amount. Pay her back as she paid others. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. There's a phrase there which says, repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she has mixed. That's a, that's a, a phrase which means um, uh, along the lines of make her punishment exactly duplicate to the crimes that she committed. It's not that she gets twice as much punishment. It's that her punishment is a duplicate of the pain and the suffering that she has caused others. Then he says, make her torment and suffering equal her glory and luxurious living. There's a weight. There's a balance. There's a perfect equity between the two. And there's a swiftness to her destruction. In a single day, in an hour, in an hour, in an hour. We've seen this in kingdoms around the world. We think a kingdom will never fall, and then almost before our eyes, it collapses and crumbles. We've seen this with, with empires in the world. We, we witnessed this, some of you who were alive, when Russia fell in 1989. And by 1999, she was indiscern almost um, undiscernible from the great um, 
country that she was before 1989. We've seen other um, regimes that have raised a great power. We thought these things are going to exist forever, and then almost uh, in a blink of an eye, they're crushed. We have seen those who have embraced economies or in businesses, and those businesses succeed, and we think, boy, that business will never fail. And almost overnight, there's a turnaround, and the business collapses. History bears out the swiftness of God's destruction, the fall of Saddam Hussein, the fall of Edi Amin. And so it will be in the end of the last days when Babylon herself follows. And the voice in heaven says, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord in Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so there's a, there's a warning to the church. Come out. Come out of Babylon. And then there's these laments that you find in verses 9 to 20. These laments give us something of the scope of the great prostitute's reach. As she sends out her te te tentacles across the world to, to peoples and lands and kings and merchants, the scope of her reach is, is incredible. There's almost nothing, it appears, that escapes her seduction and her deception. A few things to note, and we don't have uh, time to deal with each of the laments individually, but we can put them together. One of the things that you might have noticed as Bill was reading, or if you've read it ahead of time, there is a sorrow and a mourning from the kings and the merchants and the people of the world, but it is purely selfish and self-centered. Their concern is over their personal loss. They are not mourning because Babylon was loved, they're mourning because their luxury and pleasure have ceased. Their, their means to pleasure, their opportunity for wealth, their, their, uh, their, their entrance to power has been cut off from them. No one buys their goods anymore. The kings of the earth live for pleasure and luxury. And they had been seduced by Babylon, and now Babylon was gone, and their, their reference point of power is gone. They have no might, and with no might, there's no pleasure. There's no luxurious spoils of war. You think of the spoils of, the war, of wars, they're absolutely amazing. If you read about any of the wars, and, and, and really what's behind a lot of war is the accumulation of wealth, and of property, and of people, and how much wealth and property and people is accumulated at great human expense so that kings can become wealthy. The merchants of the wor world, earth, gained wealth from her, and they're ticked off because nobody buys their cargo anymore. The destruction of Babylon means the destruction and their ruin as well. And we see this around us, don't we? We see those who've, who've accumulated vast wealth, and then all of a sudden the, the feet are cut out from under the business, or, a, or a, and, and all of a sudden they lose everything they've owned. Alas, alas, for the great and mighty city has been destroyed. Secondly, there is a sorrow and a mourning, but there's no repentance. This is a critical issue in our world today and even in the church. Regret and remorse, but no repentance. This is what we found in the book of Revelation as we've gone through it in, in chapter 9 and in chapter 16. As the plagues of God fall, people acknowledge that it's God. People acknowledge that there's pain, but again and again it says, and they did not repent of their deeds. 
And so we see this as the kings and the merchants of the earth fall. They're mourning and they're sorrowful, not because they have sinned, but because their access to power and pleasure and wealth have been taken off from them. And they stood afar off. Isn't that typical? You find this when people are associated with someone, all of a sudden that somebody gets into trouble and, and everyone just scatters like oil on water. They just remove themselves as far as possible from any identification or connection with that person lest they be caught up in the wrath and the anger of the situation. And so we find here again and again three times they stood afar off as Babylon was destroyed. And then there is a depravity that needs to be exposed. I don't know if you were listening as Bill was reading this text again. I'm sure you were. But are we not in the least bit shocked by the voracious materialistic consumption that's described here? As the merchants go all across the earth to gather all these kinds of things that people aspire to have and accumulate, the consumption is rampant. But there's one phrase that I want to park on just for a couple moments this morning. It's in verse 13. And slaves, that is human souls. Another translation says, in human bodies and souls. Behind the power, wealth, pleasure, and consumption of Babylon is a commerce in human flesh, in human souls. The language here is dramatic, I know. On one level, there is a commercial and a hedonistic excess and luxury that is described. On another level, there is a cost to human bodies and human souls. The human cost of getting into bed with Babylon is massive. Real people, human beings, and souls are damaged. They are trafficked so that people can get rich, enjoy pleasure, and have power. The word for ancient slave markets literally means where bodies are sold. How often are indulgence comes at the expense of a human body or soul. See, Babylon paints a grim picture of human beings use body and soul for their service and entertainment of others. Think about the sex slave trade or the cyber sex trade or the pornography industry or our lust for blood sports, the abortion industry, eugenics and euthanasia, the clothing industry, the gambling industry, the war machine around the world, the economics of both socialism and capitalism, the legal and illegal drug business, the exploitation of poor in sweat houses. Babylon traffics in human bodies and souls. You see, we turn our heads, don't we? We numb our consciences. We have all manner of explanations 
We point fingers, but behind the wealth and the luxury and the power of Babylon is a real human cost. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their merchandise any longer. And so John says, come out of her, my people. Part of that means for us to come out of our own participation in the trafficking of human bodies and souls. Stop viewing and buying pornography. Stop taking advantage of our workers. Stop profiting from the injustice and abuse of the poor and the disenfranchised and the weak. Come out of her, my people. How? Care for the poor. Stand for the widows. Fight for the unborn. Be equitable with your wealth. Work for peace. God's judgment will fall on Babylon. But with all the mourning and sorrow, verse 20 is a contrast of just incredible proportions. Rejoice over her. You see, this again describes the people of God and what it means to come out of Babylon. Rejoice. Why? Well, rejoice, O heaven. Again, Jeremiah 51, 48. Heaven and earth and everything in them will shout for joy when Babylon is judged. And you saints, why do the saints rejoice? Because we have been praying for justice. We have been praying for the inequities. We have been praying for vindication. We have been praying that God would judge the sin in this world. And the apostles, why the apostles? Because they've been the ones that have been urging repentance and calling people to repentance. Why the prophets? Why are they rejoiced? Because their word of judgment is now finally being vindicated and coming true. For God has given judgment for you against her. Part of our responsibility as the people of God is to pray and to call people to repentance and to warn people of judgment. There's a vindication for you who have stood for injustice or against injustice. There's a vindication for you who have spoken of the kingdom of God, for you who have embraced the living God, for you who have entrusted in God, for you who have lived with integrity in this world, for you who have spoken of God and proclaimed his ways and lived in truth, for you who have prayed for God to act. You have waited for God to vindicate you. And now in the destruction of Babylon is your vindication. Rejoice. For God has given judgment for you against her. Rejoice, for there is no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. And finally, there's an illustration of Babylon's fall from verse 21 to 24. Startling imagery here. Think about it for a minute. A millstone that's thrown into the sea. It is literally like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Jeremiah makes the same point when he's describing the destruction of Babylon uh, hundreds of years earlier, the literal city of Babylon. He gives his servant a, a scroll to read to the king of Babylon. And he said, when you've finished reading this scroll, tie a stone to it, throw it into the middle of the Euphrates River, and then say, in the same way, Babylon will sink and never rise again because of the disaster that I am bringing on her way. The point is, the point is complete destruction. The point is, point is that Babylon will never be revived. 
The point is to throw your lot with Babylon is to throw your lot with something that will destroy forever and eternally. Her destruction is as complete and as irrevocable as taking a, a millstone, even how big a millstone is, going out to the middle of the Pacific open, Ocean, is it to Indiana's Trench, tossing that thing off a ship, and then coming back a year later and said, I'm going to find me that millstone. Good luck. It's God's way of saying Babylon will be destroyed irretrievably, irretrievably and irrevocably. Found in her no more, heard in her no more, shine in her no more. All of her pleasure, all of her delights, all of her offerings, all of her seductions, all of her pleasure, all of her wealth, found no more. Why? Because she has misled the nations into worshiping wealth, power, pleasure, and luxury. And she has slaughtered prophets and saints. So there's words of warning here, aren't there? It's just a reminder that certainty of judgment will come. There are words of encouragement here that immorality and injustice and idolatry will be judged. They will be dealt with. And then there's a call here. There's a call to the people of God to live by a different ethic, to live according to a different moral, to live for a different kingdom. Come out of her. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are those things? Well, there's clothes on my back. There's a roof over my head. There's food in my cupboard. Don't make those your priority. Make God your priority, and he will give you all of this other stuff. Command those who are rich in this world's good to be generous to the poor and to do good. For us, all of us, to lend to the poor. For us who have people in authority under us, or if we're authority over them, treat them fairly. Treat them justly. For those of us who are accumulating, lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven, not on earth. Why in heaven? Because rust and moth will not destroy it. There's a call here to a way of life. It's, it's, a, it's back to this unclean in Leviticus chapter 11 and all of the descriptions that are given there about clean and unclean. God wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. And every aspect of our lives should be lived in such a way that it demonstrates a distinction between us and Babylon. I, 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 this is the first time I've really thought this carefully about it. But what principles do you have in your life right now, in your day-to-day -day life, that enable you to live a distinctly different way from the world around you? What in your daily routine helps you guard against being influenced by the world around you? See, the Old Testament was full of things that daily reminded the people, even to what they eat, how they dressed, how they treated their animals, that they were to be different and distinct. So although we don't follow those, those, the, 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 the law in, in those, we follow the principle. So what is it in our lives daily that enables us to main a dis, maintain a distinction between us and Babylon? What in your daily routine reminds you of the holiness of God? What is it that keeps the, the, the purity and the righteousness and the justice of God in your daily routine, day by day, so you don't forget it, so you don't become seduced, so you don't become deceived by Babylon? What reminds you of the holiness of God? And then finally, 
Isaiah 35, 8 talks about the highway of holiness. And that those who walk on the highway of holiness, nothing unclean touches them. Are you walking on the highway of holiness? Are you walking on a path that is narrow but is headed to the eternal kingdom where nothing unclean touches you? It's a tough chapter, but it's a necessary chapter. Come out of her, my people. Father, we thank you for your word today, for this ongoing reminder of the world in which we live. I thank you, Father, for the way that you pull away the curtain, so to speak, so we get to see behind the realities of Babylon. We get to see behind the realities of the, the spiritual danger that lurks in the things that Babylon has to offer us. Father, I know that I need daily to have my eyes opened, to see her seductions, to understand her deceptions. Father, I need you to sometimes forcibly make me walk in the paths of righteousness, to make me hear truth. I thank you that as our good shepherd, you do lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, we live in the midst of a world that is opposed to you, a world that you will one day judge finally. Help us not to be seduced by her, influenced by her. How to help us to stand for the kingdom of God. Help us not to be part of the trafficking of human bodies and souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.